Welcome to the show, everyone. This is the first episode of our series, Conversations with Coaches by Stakeholder Center Coaching, where our top coaches share the behind the scenes unfolding of their career. Now, the goal of this series is to give you an intimate peek behind the curtain so you can see some of the messy ingredients that go into building a successful coaching career and the rewards that come at the end of the tunnel for those who are willing to work. I'm your host, Brandon Murgard, and if you'd like to ask a question or recommend a guest, send me an email, podcast at mgscc.net. Now, my guest today is a master coach, a Six Sigma black belt, a successful entrepreneur, a trilingual polyglot, a world-class triathlete, and one of my very personal friends, Bill Zeep. Great to have you on the show, Bill. It's wonderful to be here with you, Brandon. Thank you. Now, most of you, most of you watching this at home might not know, but Bill and I actually have quite a history. In fact, uh, Bill was one of the two individuals who really inspired me to become an aspiring triathlete in my pre-grad school days. Um, and Bill was even my executive coach when I was transitioning into my first executive role uh, at Stakeholder Center Coaching. Isn't that right, Bill? Oh, Brandon, I remember those days well. Uh, and as with most of my clients, I learned more from you than you from me, but I think it was good for both of us. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that, Bill. And, you know, I distinctly remember the first time that we spoke. Um, when you reached out, I could tell that there was a, uh, a different type of passion and ambition um, to succeed at whatever you were doing. Um, the conversations we had just unpacked such a tremendously broad um, and deep background, uh, what happened before you became a coach. And I've been fortunate to actually, you know, kind of go along the ride, uh, go along the ride with you and see what has unfolded throughout your career. So that's, that's where I'd like to pick up our, our story today for our listeners. Um, so we all know Bill Zeeb, the master coach. But who was, who was Bill before that? And I believe you had quite a transition into coaching. Is that right? Exactly. And that's a, that's a great place to start, Brandon, because my career was in multiple functions. So I worked in sales. I worked in finance. I worked in operations and Lean Six Sigma before I was a coach. And one theme that was common throughout all of my work was I'm always looking to get to the next level, to deliver more, better collaboration and higher performance in businesses. And I noticed that in Lean Six Sigma, one of the biggest roadblocks to more collaboration performance was leadership. And as a, as a Lean Six Sigma master black belt, I would, I'm used to measuring everything. And the approach that stakeholder-centered coaching brings to a structured, highly time-efficient way to measure leadership growth really resonated with me. And, and I decided to make that transition. Uh, it'll, I'll be in my seventh year as we, as we move into 2023. Um, and it's been a long journey with a lot of highs and a lot of lows. Yes, I recall. And, you know, my hope is that we can unpack this and share, uh, share with our listeners what that looks like. Many of us, when we become a coach, you know, we think about um, coaching. We think about working with leaders. And what we don't think about is the side of 
finding those leaders, convincing them that coaching is worth investing in both from a time and a financial perspective. Um, and I have seen you go from starting out to having quite the career that you have now. Um, and that's what we'll look at. And you said something interesting that uh, being a master black belt with Six Sigma started to, from what I understood, open your interests to leadership. Is that correct? Exactly. And, and what I noticed from a very early phase is we'd often measure the composition of teams and try and predict which teams will successfully deliver their projects on time and which ones will fail. So I've been playing with that for, for a number of years. And, and the difference between effective leadership and leadership that's less effective, even when the people are the smartest people in the room, even when the people are enormously driven, the final results are so much less when one plus one is equal two to two and not to five or ten. And and leadership is what makes that difference. Mm. And, and, and that, that really attracted me to this leadership making a difference really attracted me into coaching. Mm. So it's, you, you could see through your Six Sigma work that leadership was the differential. And that was the bridge that took you from, from sales to finance to operations and optimization into, you know, doing all of this with leadership, selling growth to your stakeholders, um, you know, how you operate with your team and such. Uh, was there any particular variables that you were able to notice other than leadership that gave you a reliable predictor of team performance or whether they'd finish a project on time? Um, there... There's certainly a roadmap and a structure that we used in Lean Six Sigma to make, um, to help increase the chance of projects successfully delivering, right? And I spent a lot of time thinking and working about that and developing the structure. And when I became familiar with stakeholder-centered coaching and what Chris Coffey and Frank Wagner had documented from their work with Marshall Goldsmith over four decades, when I recognized the structure there, it really landed with me. And it's, it's not surprising. There's a study called um, Leadership as a Contact Sport. Maybe we can put that in the play notes so people can download that. Um, it's, an, it's an older article, but it's really a, a designed experiment of what are the factors, the input factors that lead to effective leadership as a measurable growth output factor. And many were tested, um, internal coaches versus external coaches, face-to-face um, -face versus telephone. Um, and that study determined that the most significant variable based on regression, and that's what I'm looking for, I'm looking for What's the way to do a little bit of work and get a big result, right? That's the Lean Six Sigma way of thinking. And that variable in stakeholder-centered coaching is follow-up. Mm -hmm. And having regular follow-up aligned with a publicly defined and announced leadership growth goal um, opens the path where the chance of success goes up to 95%, which is 
extremely high for someone who's been doing projects. Um, one of our 100 coaches colleagues, Antonio Nieto Rodriguez, who's written some books on project management, also for Harvard recently, um, he talks about how many projects fail. And to be able to hit 95% in uh, leadership development is, is very, very impressive. And, and that got me hooked. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the leadership is a contact sport report, we'll link that in the show notes, um, and, you know, likely just below this video, but to give you a, a brief on it, um, we worked with about eight companies, we put about we trained 11,000 leaders. Um, and at the end of the training, these leaders picked a goal, they shared with the most important people, what that goal was, it was a behavioral goal. And the people they shared it with were direct reports, peers, a manager. Um, and then we followed up 12 months later. So the, the research question here was, um, do people actually get better as a result of training? Um, and the conclusion was, no, they get better as a result of follow-up. Those that were seen as consistently following, uh, those who were seen as consistently following up with their stakeholders had a 95%, 95% of them got better. It is, a, it is an astounding number. But those that were seen as not following up, whose stakeholders specifically responded, this leader is not following up or is following up infrequently or irregularly, their chances of improvement were uh, a chance. So it was essentially a coin toss. But we saw that organizations were spending millions of dollars on these trainings with very little, uh, very little impact. So now that we know that key ingredient, um, that's, that's kind of where the story then starts, Bill. So you're in Six Sigma, you're working with teams, you see, wow, leadership is the key differential. You come across leadership as a contact sport. Was that your first, was that your first uh, exposure to Marshall Goldsmith? In, in fact, it was. And what, what impressed me was the methodology is an easy to learn one. And I had been coming very much from a operational perspective of driving process improvement and spending several decades of my career looking at a process, recognizing that 80% is waste, finding that waste and, and energizing a team, engaging a team to take on that waste. And with stakeholder-centered coaching, it's it's quite similar in that we do an assessment with the leader and pick that piece of behavior that they want to change. And I like the way Marshall always puts it, uh, our, behaviors are not, our behaviors are not birth defects. So we can change them if we choose. And I like to use that line with leaders when they say they can't listen. Um, or when they say they can't be respectful. Those are not birth defects. Those are habits. And with enough practice and with some contracting to make sure we have some guidelines that, that make us want to change in that area, um, stakeholder-centered coaching uh, helps leaders to do exactly that. And um, it's it's not always working. I like to use the following analogy because the change is excruciatingly slow for the leader and for the people around the leader. Let me explain what I mean. Um, when we change our behavior, that's much faster 
than when other people change their perceptions of us. And so um, when I told my wife I'm going to start helping more around the house and unload the dishwasher, and I did it for the first two weeks. After two weeks, I forgot a day or I had a call. And she said, oh, you never do it. And that's the typical reaction because she was living in the past, not in the past two weeks. When I, however, the two weeks after that, every time I was loading the dishwasher, I would announce to her, oh, if we put the forks in this way and the spoons this way, it unloads faster. Oh, if we pre-rinse that pot, then it comes out clean. Oh, if I clean the filter, then it's going to get the dishes more clean. Oh, if we put a little salt in in where it's supposed to go in the in the salt dispose, dispenser in the dishwasher, it's going to help. Oh, this glass if or bowl, if you don't turn it right, it collects water and then it's a mess to unload. When I told her that over two weeks and missed a day, then she said, oh, don't worry about it. You've got it. And that's exactly what stakeholder-centered coaching is all about. It's about helping leaders to change their behavior and to earn the recognition from their stakeholders of that changed behavior. Wow. And in the beginning, that wasn't so clear to me. And it requires enormous patience and optimism as a coach to be able to celebrate and congratulate the leaders along the process on their very small steps of progress, which in fact are, are highly important, right? And I would imagine that it takes patience as well from the, the stakeholder side. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And I like to tell the story of, let's imagine that we're going to take all the food and drink that you'll consume until you pass away. And let's put it in one pile. And let's imagine all the fresh food stays fresh. Okay. That's going to be a big pile. It's going to fill up rooms. Okay. And then I send you to that room and I say, Brandon, I want you to improve your your eating. So go in there and make a big dent in that. Okay. Leadership change is very slow. It requires patience. We're not going to see on a day-to-day basis the improvements. And we need to establish the consistent and, and that plays back to the follow-up. Hmm. Well, you know, I'm very eager to get into the the coaching um, side of this. But let's let's just turn back the clock and give us give us kind of the panoramic view of, you know, you said you went through sales, you went through finance, um, you know, give us just a, a snapshot of Bill and who you were fully before this this moment of leadership as a contact sport um, kind of came to the forefront of your mind. Perfect. So I was in my mid 50s when I signed up for uh, the first stakeholder centered coaching certification. Before that, I'd worked um, three or four years in sales. I earned my MBA. I worked seven years in finance for General Motors in Europe. And I kind of lied to myself because I'm not a finance guy. And I didn't know enough to listen to my internal calling. And that's a lot of what our coaching is about, is helping people discover themselves. And and I I lied to myself. The pay was great. The, The learning was phenomenal. But finance is not me. And after seven years of of that, I said, what I really love is helping drive significant positive change in the business through collaboration and business performance. And I changed my career to Lean Six Sigma. And I I took a similar approach to what I take in coaching. I 
I got myself trained as a black belt four or five different times from different organizations and learned and practiced and studied and and went through hundreds of projects and and developed a deep expertise there. And that that kind of commitment is essential to become a coach. The coaching market, Brandon, today is changing radically. Um, we have companies that are receiving Series E funding for $300 million to finance artificial intelligence and, and bring in coaching around the world. If you're interested, you can listen to one of these founders on a podcast with one of my favorite um, authors, uh, Alyssa Cohn, who wrote From Startup to Grown Up. Okay. And she has a podcast with uh, Alexi Robichaud, who's the founder of, of BetterUp. And I recognized early on in my career that I needed to have a very structured process that was well recognized, or I was going to be not have a chance to support my family uh, going forward. And so when I, when I looked at coaching, there's part of me that says, hey, there's so many new people coming in coaching. How do I make myself stand out? And how do I make sure that I'm providing uh, for my family in the future? And stakeholder-centered coaching provided just that because it gave me exactly the structure that my clients are looking for. And just today in a few client conversations, the word structure comes up so often. And stakeholder-centered coaching brings just that. It's amazing. So it sounds like, uh, you know, as you journeyed through your career, it sounds like the transition point from, from what you were doing with Six Sigma into coaching um, was more of a pull. You wanted to be in coaching more than you necessarily wanted to be out of Six Sigma. Would you agree with yes. that? Yes. Yes. No, that's, I would completely agree with that. And it's, it's about... What's the best and highest use of the talent that I bring to the planet? And, and as I pondered more about Lean Six Sigma and some of the projects that I was blessed to work on, and I helped our, our team, the team we built, helped clients to save hundreds of millions of dollars. Okay. And, and yet I realized that the big lever is leadership. Mm -hmm. And so that's, so it, that's what pulled me. Um, we hear that there's from, from our, our clients who are in um, or who, are, who have been exposed to many of these uh, processes like Six Sigma, Agile, um, they often say that there is strong linkage between the two. So as an expert yourself, where do you see that intersection between process improvement through a methodology like Six Sigma and stakeholder center coaching for leadership? Oh, wow, this is a great question. And I have to, I have to admit in the beginning, I tried to hold them separately. Mm. And I tried to, and I tried to say, I'm now letting go of my Lean Six Sigma expertise and I'm focusing on leadership. And one of the early founders that I was blessed to work with in Switzerland, the Swiss Entrepreneur of the Year, when we went through the stakeholder-centered coaching contract of responsibilities that he brings as a leader and that I bring as the coach, 
He was very specific and he actually added to the contract. He said, Bill, I want your Lean Six Sigma experience as well in, in this relationship. So I don't want a pure coaching. I want it mixed with your, your business expertise from having worked in inner four over a hundred businesses and also with Lean Six Sigma. So we added that and it's, it fits very well with stakeholder centered coaching, but I have to be careful to put on my coaching hat or to put on my Lean Six Sigma hat and differentiate them. And I've been shocked, Brandon, how we used to train Lean Six Sigma black belts for four weeks. Now I'm telling clients, let's just play for three hours. And they're coming up with the results on their own with very little training. And a lot of the training is now available online. So I'm, I'm actually convinced that the two are highly complementary, if that makes sense. Sure. You know, I've, in, in my years in this business, and maybe, maybe those of you listening at home can comment down below, I've never heard of a client asking to expand the scope of responsibilities in a coaching contract. Was that just out of left field for you? Or did you kind of expect that given the client you were working with? I, I didn't expect that. However, the niche where I like to work the most is with highly ambitious and successful PhDs who come from scientific backgrounds who are looking to advance science to change the world and happen to be creating companies to do that. And that niche happens, and it's it's luck. I didn't do it by design. That niche happens to fit extremely well with the profile that I that I bring. And uh, uh, what I've what I have learned is, and this is something I've learned from Marshall Goldsmith. Um, I've learned much faster to declare what I'm not an expert in and be much more selective on what I can help clients with. And this was a mistake I made early on as a coach in the desire to please and to have some work. There's always different tasks and, and challenges that come up in a business. Sticking to my knitting, which is Lean Six Sigma or sales training, which is another area where I also work with clients, and leadership growth, that's that's what I do. And when people ask me to do things like uh, help with IT project implementation or help with uh, R&D processes, that's not what I do. And I'm very quick to declare that. And that preserves my capacity for the things that I do the very best that the clients keep coming back for. And that that's a risk as you're, as a new coach. It's a definite risk. And it's one that I made my share of, uh, of learnings there along the way. Oh yeah. It's a, it's a big risk. And, you know, um, given my role, I hear often coaches say, you know, this is what a client has asked me for. It's, it's, you know, is that advisable? And what you've just said, there's such wisdom in that. That's a nugget uh, of gold worth its weight, worth its weight in gold, um, is to say no faster than you say yes. But that also creates, like you said, a bit of a low, 
um, as a as a coach practitioner, how do you how do you deal with that low, or how do you internalize the fact that I need to tell this person no, and do you you know try to swing them back to what you do, or do you pass them on to another expert? Wow, that's a great question, and and it's so timely because uh, I'm just going through some experimentation as a, as a coach. I'm always learning and growing myself. If I'm if you're not wanting to learn and grow faster than your clients, please don't become a coach. It's it's brutal. I I have 300 books on my Kindle and then, you know, hundreds of other printed ones. And um, so it's it's a constant journey of learning. Um, what what for me is uh, is especially interesting about getting to know, getting to the word know, as a salesperson, I knew that I I was trained by Tom Hopkins and Dale Carnegie sales training and um, and Kevin Davis with slow down sell faster sales training. So I've I've had different sales trainings along the along my career, and I've got thirty books on sales. I I'm fascinated by selling, and yet getting to be able to welcome and accept a no and understand I need 19 no's to get to my next yes, having the patience to keep working your way through that. And I I failed at being able to hear a no or a yes. And I failed so badly that recently I've gone to trying something different. And not being able to, to hear a no is also useful. I have coached people that I had to woo for six months before they said yes, and they have had magical transformations. But wooing people is not the same as coaching people, and and wooing people doesn't put bread on the table for your family, right? So, um, so I've been on both sides, and recently I've been practicing something where I'll have a conversation with someone about coaching, and in the conversation I'll say, "This is a really big commitment from you and from me." And this requires a high level of courage, humility, and discipline. And I can quickly ask them where they are on a 1 to 10 scale. And people generally can answer right on the spot. And if, if people don't come with enough commitment, then you're wasting their time and yours. And so what, what I've started to do is explain to people, if we decide to work together, a hell yes has to come from my heart. And it has to come from your heart. And today doesn't count because we both need to sleep on it. And only if we send each other an email tomorrow that's hell yes, should we start to work together. And I'm, I have to tell you how much positive energy this gives the people and myself. And we're moving now into January with a new group of four leaders who will be, um, my first four hell yeses, and we're going to be coaching together using stakeholder-centered coaching in the year ahead. That's got to feel great. It's, it's a wonderful feeling, and yet at the same time, it causes a lot of anxiety because the hell yes with some people might come in the conversation, and with other people, it might come in an email a few days before Christmas and you weren't even expecting it. Yeah. Well, you know, on that topic of, uh, of, of, 
um, lows and of failures. Um, I recall, you know, some years ago, I was interviewing the founder of what ultimately became quite a major retail firm um, on the topic of running their business. And they had grown to, to epic sizes, um, but this individual was still working like it was a startup. You know, they were an entrepreneur at heart. Um, and, you know, they got very good at, at bypassing many of the, the mistakes that we all make as entrepreneurs early on. Um, but I, I had asked them, you know, I said, I asked about as open-ended a question as I could ask. It was just, you know, what's it like? What's it like for you? Um, and they, how they responded really took me by surprise. You know, they took a moment of thoughtful silence. They kind of pointed their eyes up at the ceiling uh, to think for a minute. And then what they said stuck with me for many years. It stuck with me through every business I've, I've established uh, up to now. And this is what they told me. They looked me square in the eyes and in a very somber tone, he said, the highs are high and the lows are low and there's rarely anything in between. And it stuck with me. I, I, I've known this intimately. Um, to be true without fail in any business I've worked in um, with or for. And, you know, it is as a coach entrepreneur is kind of where I want to go next with you to see what does this look like for you? Because as a coach, um, you know, the highs are my client has made measurable improvements. They've been recognized and acknowledged by key stakeholders as more effective. And you are the linchpin in that. That is really powerful. But at the same time for entrepreneurs uh, or anyone running a coaching practice or otherwise, those lows may show up as not being able to make payroll this month uh, or something to that effect. And so those lows are valleys that are just incomprehensible to someone who hasn't been there before. So as um, you were making the transition into coaching, um, I'm, I'm sure there were some areas where self-doubt or these lows could start to come up. And the area I want to explore first is, um, is family. So I know that you are a husband, you're a father, you know, given, given the pictures that you have on LinkedIn and our, our conversations, you're very active, um, with them. And many of our listeners are in the same shoes. They've expressed uh, abrasion in making that transition with their family, moving yes. from their current job to becoming uh, a coach practitioner, which entails being an entrepreneur. So could you tell me a little bit about how um, this unfolded with your family? And maybe we start with how did your family react when you positioned, hey, I think I'm going to transition to being a coach? Wow. Okay. I did not have the same presence and the same wisdom to proactively communicate with my family seven years ago that I have now. So, mm -hmm. so I don't want to say it was a unilateral decision, but I want to say the amount that I consulted them was much less than I would today. Okay. Mm -hmm. So being a coach has made me much, a, a much better husband and father. Um, that's mm -hmm. part of the reason I, I'm a coach. Um, what was challenging for our family was to see a, a, an initial drop in income, okay, 
And that drop in income is based on many factors. It's based on my ability to sell. It's based on the market niche I take on. It's based on my level of expertise. How much do I believe in myself? Um, and the, I, I, I'm in my seventh year of coaching now. I've, I've coached uh, 1,800 hours. I've been blessed to coach 15 CEOs. I've coached in 27 countries. So when I meet with a client now, I have many stories to share and tell. In the early years, that was not the case. And having the support to be able to call a Mike McCartney or a Chris Coffey or a Frank Wagner before I would go on a presentation, to be able to reach out to the network was highly valuable. And and I continue to pay that forward in my work with, with your organization, um, Brandon, in, in the mentoring sessions that we do, the weekly 90-minute sessions, right, where, where coaches now get seven sessions of 90 minutes and they prepare before them and they're, they're beautifully orchestrated and designed um, uh, coaching triads where, where people practice the different elements. And, and I'm really joyful to see that that support is more available than ever to people who want to become coaches. So for my family, the journey was, was tough. My income the first years went down 90%, okay, which, um, you know, you're, you're traveling less. You're not visiting uh, the weddings in India that you would have gone to see normally, right? Um, it, it, you're not visiting family that's far away. And before people go into coaching, make sure that you're, you're completely committed to it and make sure you have a long-term vision. My vision is I'm 63 years young now. I've been coaching for seven years, but I figure I've got easily another 20 years of coaching and they're my, they're my best, if not 30. And I'm having more fun than ever before. So, um, the, the challenge with the family at the beginning was not easy. Although I think if you asked my, my son and my, and our daughters and my wife, if, if they think that they're, that I'm a better person because of my coaching the last years, I don't think they'd hesitate for a second. And what makes me especially proud is to see how much, um, coaching kind of thinking has benefited all of them as well. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So they would, if, if I were to, you know, have them here on the show and say, Hey, what is your perception of Bill Zeeb, the coach, as we know, as we know, Bill Zeeb, um, it sounds like it would be very positive. That, that's certainly my um, interpretation. And again, I, I like a remark I've heard at several coaching retreats that, Sometimes they need a special help group for children of coaches, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and oh, yet, at the, same time, yet at the same time, I'm really pleased when I see, um, when I see our, my wife and our children having such a positive impact through their leadership and how much it's grown as well. Good. So you have, uh, you, you know, at this point, you, at some point along the way, you've got their buy-in. Um, you know, and so you're getting started with the work. Uh, you know, let's dig into your perspective on things like self-doubt. Um, and, you know, let's actually start there with self-doubt. Do you now, given the degree of success you've achieved here, um, imposter syndrome is quite a thing that I hear our coaches 
talk about. Is that something that you, I struggle with it. I'm happy to, to be vulnerable and say, guys, I, I have this every day of my life. Is that something that hits you as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, every day is exactly right. So, you know, let's just, let's just paint some imposter syndrome journey. Um, the first three leaders whom I coached were on a no growth, no pay contract. And they, two of the three, after eight months of a 12 year um, engagement, dropped out. And they dropped out because of my ego. I thought I could change them, right? And, and when they dropped out, that made me feel like it, very much like an imposter. And yet, I, pu I pulled myself together and stayed with the remaining founder. And, and today, that founder has completely turned the business around and is totally grateful. Um, but having certainly having a few of the first leaders not successfully make it through. Um, and there are other cases where business conditions just blindside you. You know, you're mm -hmm. coaching a leader and, and they're hospitalized for a week halfway around the world. Uh, you know, both of their parents fall, uh, ill and, and pass away in the year you're coaching them. I mean, these kinds of things can happen and when i hear at the end of that that stakeholder centered coaching helped me get through that year i feel good and yet at the same time i'm i ask myself could i have done more and there's there's some imposter syndrome and um imposter syndrome is i think it's an essential part of coaching if we're not a little bit paranoid um then, then we're overly confident and getting some, getting enough feedback to feel the imposter syndrome from time to time is very important. But as a coach, helping leaders take action to overcome their imposter syndrome is, is really a lot about what we do. And it's, it's not about what the coach does. It's about what, what the leader does with their stakeholders. Lots of times the solution is, is, already present in the company with we're working in and our roles as coaches is is to bring a highly structured process that doesn't let the follow-up slip away and to to hold the space so that this structured process can can let the goodness that's inside of the the leader and the stakeholders come out mm. that's very well put and powerful. Um, you know, I hope that that resonates with our listeners and gives a, a clear picture of what we do. Um, take me back to this story again, because this is fascinating. So you have eight leaders you're coaching. It's a 12-month engagement. And yes. you said uh, some number of them didn't, didn't show any, they were not recognized nor acknowledged by their stakeholders as being more effective. Right. And this has happened to me um, on a couple of occasions, although it's it's extremely rare that it's happening now. Um, and this happened in the beginning with three founders and coaching multiple founders who are intertwined in one of your first five or 10 coaching engagements. I would not recommend that. Just as the same in Lean Six Sigma, we have some excellent training projects where you have good data and it's available and frequently. And then you have some projects where 
you you just don't have the data. So coaching is the same way. And we talk about these in our mentoring sessions. What's what's the right candidate for setting up coaching? So that's one. Another example, sometimes companies will set highly ambitious targets and not be ready to um, provide the duration that they need. And to, to anchor lasting change takes 12 months. It's not going to be sustainably anchored in less than 12 months. And the niche that I like to work with are people who have not had coaching before. So these people are generally, in a good way, highly skeptical of coaching and willing to perhaps try six months. And then you have to make your decision, am I going to get a hell yes for six months, in which case let's, let's go for it, and tell them right up front, this is going to take 12 months. And in fact, several of the founders that I've been blessed to work with who have had some of the best growth had this skepticism and weren't, weren't willing to sign up for 12 months in the beginning. And in the end, ended up going even longer than 12 months. Oh, yes. Um, and for, you know, for those of you listening at home, this is, uh, you know, I invite you to engage in this conversation. One of the, one of the things we um, frequently deal with as coaches, and Bill, I don't think there's a single coach I could name who didn't have some number of failures within their first five to 10 um, engagements. I'm not, certainly not immune to that. And it's, it's quite fun to hear um, Chris Coffey, Frank Wagner, and Marshall Goldsmith talk about their failures in this regard too. Um, but if you're listening at home, let us know if this has happened to you. You know, put your, put your comments down in the chat. Um, we'd love to know, have you ever had an engagement that failed and you just thought, well, this is, uh, this is it. So um, good. So coming back to imposter syndrome, Bill, you mentioned that it's, it's something leaders, leaders that you're coaching deal with as well. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. And there's nothing harder than being the leader of a fast-growing startup or being a leader in any business today. The, the world is becoming more volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. This VUCA world we talk about where there are different contexts. Dave Snowden has done some great research on this with the Kinefin model where he talks about simple, complicated, complex, and chaotic contexts. And the complicated means I can figure it out. I'm going to kick a ball in a soccer goal. I can use physics and I can figure it out. There's a right answer. There's And complex means there's not really a right answer and I have to try it to know what's going to happen. Complex is if I kick a German shepherd and I wonder, is he going to bite my leg off or run away? Okay. Complex is COVID. Complex is trying to figure out what's going to happen next in Ukraine or with Taiwan. Okay. Complex is going to, is, is understanding our supply chain. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the leadership challenges of today demand leaders who have the agility to let go of knowing the answers in a complicated world and engage the collective brain power of their entire team. And 
And stakeholder-centered coaching is absolutely perfectly designed to do this because it it's not about a coach whispering with a leader in a room. It's about engaging the stakeholders and bringing this complexity thinking into the entire organization in a way that that helps the organization to be better prepared for this unpredictable world we live in. And I don't think the world with climate change and, and everything else that's happening with financial and economic situations and political uh, uncertainties, I don't think the world's going to be moving towards simplicity in the next years. So, so if there's a way to strengthen this complexity dealing muscle, that's wonderful. Um, I, I heard one story that was so beautiful on this because I think stakeholder-centered coaching is good for the planet. I, I'm really, you might think, hey, Bill, what, what world are you coming from? But in South Africa, there were some riots. And in part of South Africa, over 100 supermarkets were looted and burned on a weekend. And there are three supermarket chains. And one coach that I'm blessed to know was working with the CEO of one of the supermarkets chains and asked this leader, what do you want to do? And he says, I don't know. And she said, just go into yourself and feel, what do you want to do? And he says, I feel badly for the people that live there. All the supermarkets in their region have been destroyed and are empty. Okay, well, what do you want to do? The coach asked. And the leader said, what I'd like to do is fly there and rebuild the stores and restock them. Okay, that sounds reasonable. How are we going to do that? Well, the airline's closed. The airport's closed. Okay, well, you know the CEO of the National Airline. Maybe you can call him. Next thing he knows, he's flying there with 250 people on the plane and a team to rebuild the supermarkets. They rebuilt the supermarkets and they actually emptied the national supply chain to restock them. So all the suppliers were empty to refill this supermarket chain. The other supermarkets took longer than two weeks to rebuild. What ended up happening was what was good coming from the heart of this leader was extremely profitable for the business and the constituents as well. And this is the kind of leadership that's not possible when leaders are are not working in a collaborative and a calm way. And stakeholder-centered coaching helps give leaders a chance to step into their their more creative side and to let go of, of the tension of their reactive sides, if that makes sense. Wow. That is a powerful story, Bill. Who was, uh, if you don't mind me asking, who was the coach? Um, it's a woman in South Africa, and I... I I want to I, I want to hold the confidence. I'm happy to tell you offline, but in respect to this coach, I want to. Uh, and again, th this was a great question, Brandon, because the amount of discretion that we need as coaches mm -hmm. is extremely high, and stakeholder-centered coaching is the perfect training ground because you're working with stakeholders that you can build your discretion muscle step by step with it as you're coaching. And um, 
because you're you're declaring in public the leadership growth goal. So thank you so much for asking me that question, and I, I hope I've uh, I hope I've enlightened people because I think there's there's a lot more goodness in the world that can happen when leadership is better, and we need more examples like that, and there are many. Say that one more time. There's a lot more good that can happen when when leadership is effective in the world. Okay. Because ineffective leadership hurts the leader, the leader's family. It also hurts the employees. The, the level of employee engagement that we're experiencing today in many companies is, is at record lows. And we've just come through such a horribly challenging time with COVID, right? Mm -hmm. And with the inflation that we're facing, and with the increase in interest rates, all of these, and with the supply chain, there's there's so much um, there's so much of a need for better leaders in the world. So, if if you want to link your purpose with helping better leaders, stakeholder centered coaching has been a way to help me do just that, and and. I wake up highly engaged uh, thinking about how the leaders I can accompany are going to be able to do a little more good in the, in the world. Mm. You know, Bill, one of the, the gifts that you're giving me now and that this, this series, my hope, is, is going to uh, give all of us is that as coaches, we're so focused on seeing the leader get better, seeing the leader have these, these enormous transformations um, and you know, having this conversation reminds me as coaches, we're having that same transformation. And sometimes we, well, we have to have that before we help uh, take leaders through that transformation. Um, you know, we talked a little earlier about um, having a muscle to deal with complexity. Um, and yes. I had a call with uh, Frank Wagner um, just yes. a few days ago, and he described this in, in a way I hadn't heard yet, but I think really nailed, uh, nailed it on the head which is that the rate of change over the last um, few decades has just exploded. And the necessity of leaders to continue with that rate of change is growing in parallel. And therefore, effective leadership is predicated on one's ability to learn and adapt. And stakeholder-centered coaching, as he described it, shortens the learning curve. It says you can't manage change entirely on your own. Well, you can, it's just gonna take more time and more money, but your stakeholders are all carrying a part of that load. And if you just create that channel of feed forward, you understand exactly how to build your, let's say complexity resiliency muscle, so that when these challenges come up, you've got the, uh, you've got the bandwidth, communication bandwidth, you've got the rapport, and you have a system that means you don't really have to think about what to do. You just need to ask what to do, prioritize, and 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 get on the ball. So, um, yeah, this is this is exactly what this series should be, Bill. So thank you for that. And I want to I want to turn um, a, a bit to entrepreneurship because, you know, it's interesting that more than half the challenges coaches face in creating their coaching career has nothing to do with coaching. It has to do with, um, you know, it's not leadership, it's not methodology or stakeholders, it is um, entrepreneurship. The, the very act of opening a business, 
is a um, foreign idea, you know, creating a strategy, establishing a brand reputation, um, you know, getting your marketing, marketing together, all of this before you even sit face to face with your first client. So many of us have that first bittersweet flavor of, of failure, even before we start coaching. So from your perspective, um, being an entrepreneur, what, what is one of the hardest parts for you personally? And how have you addressed that through your career? I'm thinking, Brandon, that I've tried to do too much on my own. And thinking you can start a coaching business on your own is possible. And yet, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with many. And I've, I've found in so many instances that when I'm working with more and different people, my coaching uh, practice dramatically improves. It could be working with Marshall. You know, Marshall wrote this book on succession. And, you know, normally I give a bottle of champagne like this to my people when they do a mini survey. But if, if they're at the end of the year, I might have a bigger bottle for them like this, right? And, and when a founder decides to step down and name his successor, then I have to have an even bigger bottle, right? <laughs> so as coaches, we kind of have to drink our own champagne, Brandon. And, um, and I have been lax in asking for help. So when I wanted to found um, the business, setting up a business requires tax and, uh, and uh, payroll and you need to put together a budget and you need to understand um, what's your forecast and handle your cash flow. And I, I got some help in that area. Um, I found someone who had been before me and they introduced me to some people and, and I got some help in that area. Um, other areas of marketing, I've tried more to do it on my own. And um, I, I'm hitting a certain level there, um, but there's so much more I can do, right? And that's one of the reasons I'm grateful to be here with you um, mm -hmm. today. So thank you for that opportunity. Um, when it comes to um, providing for clients, I've, I've collaborated with other coaches. So one coach or one person who wants to become a Marshall Goldsmith stakeholder-centered coach is one of the best trainers I've ever encountered. So we put together a, a client said, I want a training uh, program. Well, I, I've worked with that person to propose a training program and the client totally loves it. Another client is extremely talented at, at designing and facilitating structured workshops um, to go through difficult issues. So worked with, with that. So not trying to do it yourself is really important. And um, there's a lot of great resources, people also writing books. One, one coach who I greatly admire is Peter Bregman. He's written this with um, 
with Howie Jacobson. And I got to spend a week with them in Esalen um, some years ago. Um, and this book is absolutely brilliant. You can change other people. Um, you need to start with yourself first. Um, Peter Bregman also had a huge impact on me leading with emotional courage um, because I went through a personal transformation when I was chasing dollars as a Lean Six Sigma Master Black Belt. And I was very proud to say I led a project that helped the client um, generate 30 million euros a year of profit as a dishwasher. And that was kind of who I was. It wasn't I helped the client have better leadership to do this and that. So um, Peter Bregman helped me really make a transition from leading for dollars to what what we call leading from the heart. And that's what I try and do today. And uh, I don't forget my Lean Six Sigma background, but I, I try and combine the two, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Bill, just as as uh I have to point this out. It, you you feel a bit like a Mary Poppins of your with your desk there. That's incredible. You know what you what you've got right there on 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 demand. I assume this is something you do with your clients as well, right? There's here's some resources to recommend. It's it's really important, especially when we're remote like this, mm -hmm. to have some fun and try and make a connection with people. And mm -hmm. and there's so many ways we can do that and. Coaching should be a little bit like Cirque du Soleil, a little bit entertaining and wow and fun. There's no reason leadership development needs to be dry. And so that's one thing I've learned along the way is to try and keep a few, um, a few things that are fun. One of the problems that I had, this was imposter syndrome again. I'm working with a founder and I've got a workshop and I think, okay, I'm going to teach his executive team how to juggle. Well, it turns out this founder is a master juggler and can juggle bowling pins behind his back. And here I am in front of him, you know, trying to teach him to juggle a few balls just for a minute, right? And um, so... Uh, it, yeah, you get imposter syndrome all the time. Um, at the same time, uh, if you can have fun while you're coaching, then let's do that, right? Oh, yeah. That seems like a good antidote to uh, imposter syndrome is just have a laugh. Have a laugh at yourself. Have a, have a laugh with others. Um, wow. Okay, that's fun. You know, I, I, I know that you juggle, it's, and you juggle quite well. Um, but to think <laughs> of you, you know, having a leader – and taking that juggling in and having them actually be considerably talented at it is, I mean, it just seems like such a statistical anomaly. Um, jug juggling is actually, learning to juggle is very similar to leadership growth in many so. ways. First of all, it's, it's really not about so much what you say or do. It's do you acknowledge what the other person has to say before you try and give your message. So it's not about the catch. Juggling is all about the throw. Can I throw the ball exactly to the same spot so it lands in my hand without looking? And when you learn to juggle once, 
and the ball is going to fall many times. And by the way, leadership growth, the learning comes from the failure, not from the wins. And that's, that's perhaps why a coach is so helpful, at least for me. I've worked with 27 different coaches on seven, over 750 inbound coaching sessions on me. Now, some of those are with my triathlete coach, triathlon coach, okay? But, but many of those are with highly talented coaches who have helped me to, you know, one, one therapist over 26 weeks helped me to discover many new things about myself, right? And if you listen to Alyssa Cohn's podcast with Alexi Robichaud, he'll talk about how he works with three coaches at the same time. Okay, so I know that I've tried to do too much alone, and I know no one needs a coach. Absolutely no one needs a coach. Mm-hmm. I believe if you want to work on yourself, and how you collaborate and perform, you deserve a coach. But that's a personal choice. And there have been decades in my life when I was not ready for a coach. That's totally okay. That's just, it's actually very valuable to be able to admit that because you don't want to go into a coaching relationship that's not a hell yes relationship. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, we talked about excuse me, we talked about uh, learning from the, from the failures. So, you know, as we explore your, the unfolding of your career, um, did you have any moments, did you have any moments of failure that you thought, you know, my goose is cooked. I am, I'm not coming back from this. The bottom is about to fall out. Sure. I've had, I've had many moments like that. Um, when you're counting on someone being engaged and something comes up and you think it's you, or you're planning a workshop and you're the backup resource to deliver it and the key resource doesn't show up because of some travel issues, or something gets canceled at the last minute, there's, there's so many reasons in business that are causing things to get canceled, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in a complex world. And it doesn't always have to do with us. And I was blessed to watch the United States cross-country ski team in Davos last weekend. And I watched the women's team. And my best friend happens to have a daughter who's in the top 40 cross-country skiers globally. Wow. And she's on the U.S. team, which has the number one top cross-country skier globally. And it's interesting, by spending time with them, we talked about how they grew up and how they started skiing at age six or eight, these girls, and they'd win everything they'd touch. And then they'd move along and then they'd get to high school and there'd be some competition and they'd kind of get knocked off their pedestal. And then they'd continue on and go to university. Um, maybe they'd have an injury. My friend's daughter um, was having an injury with the broken vertebra and she was captain of her ski team 
at college and she had to sit out the year. And then you go to the, before that, she went to the junior nationals. And now she's with the U.S. ski team, a young skier, early 20s. And the gold medalist is 31 years old and has six more years of dedication to get to this level to be the world's very best. And I watched as the family and the team supported the people who were coming in 38th in the race, which means maybe you don't continue on the tour because the World Cup tour gets a little smaller month after month, and yet celebrated the success and growth of the junior team members. And, and the, the mothers of these children would be very quick to tell you, I put my daughter in a different environment where she would lose. I put her in an environment where she'd lose with children four years older than her because learning to lose is more important as a life skill than learning to win. And, and in fact, stakeholder-centered coaching is just that. It's about helping the leaders to create an action plan and try to have people see them as a different leader and continue to work on it after failure, after failure, after failure. And at a certain point, the tipping point arrives and, and the leader is acknowledged as being a better leader, if that makes sense. So, so whether for my own business or whether the leaders I work with, I view failures as a blessing. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's part of that's part of coaching that sometimes we're there to help people open that perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know I <clears throat> I know you, Bill, as a as I, I was fortunate to see you um, starting out fresh. Uh, I was fortunate to see you you know take the, the typical missteps that new coaches would. Right. Um, and see you see you bounce back from that. But right. what's fascinating is now I and and many others know you as the winner. That's 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 whatever you're doing. If it's sales, if it's accounting, if it's operations, if it's coaching, you're there. You're doing it. You're all in, and you are succeeding. Um, and that is uh, the part that the um, that the retail firm founder said. The highs are high when you are the owner of that. Uh, of that endeavor that whether it's a business or an activity, um, those highs are highs. So let's get into that. Um, from your side, you know, you're, you're working with some world-class leaders who are doing some big things. And I know we have a number of, of, uh, of, of confidentialities that need to be protected. Is there anything that you can share that your clients are doing or that the impact that, um, they are having, um, in their industry, their space, the world, um, the, the, the leaders that you were working with. Wow. Yeah, sure. And working with scientists or working with, working with businesses that want to serve their customers well and grow, when a business wants to grow and they're doing good, that's, that's where coaching brings the highest returns. So, and, and, I'm so fortunate to work with some clients that are 
extending the limits of science, mm -hmm. um, making making detectors that are able to capture 12,000 images a second and photograph individual atoms and 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 use and, and use these tools or, or provide these tools to scientists to use to to discover the covid uh, virus mm -hmm. to make that visible um, and and these are entrepreneurs with dreams dreams of bringing um, the Internet of Things to factories to, to eliminate the waste and reduce uh, the global warming. Or it can be scientists helping people do cell research and, and actually measure neural, trans, neural uh, uh, transmissions between brain cells, living brain cells. I mean, what science is doing today is, is enlightening. Um, Companies making sensors and sensor systems that can determine methane leaks at all the oil rigs around the world that's, that's impacting global warming in big ways. Um, there are, it's generally, it's, it's invigorating to help these companies in their, um, in their work to bring science to better serve mankind. And, and that's a bit the, the niche that I'm in. Um, and, and powerful leadership applies to, to advance the progress of mankind. And we've never needed progress more than today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so like, the, like you said, this is one intersection point between stakeholder center coaching and the world at large, how it actually makes it better. Um, so you've, you, you've talked about how, you know, your clients are many times surprising themselves with what they accomplish. They are um, surprising you in many ways with what they're doing as a result of their leadership um, for what their companies are producing. Was there a time um, that you have surprised yourself with what you can do as a coach or how you have transformed as a coach? Because there are times that I can put my finger on that you have surprised me and helped me surprise myself. I'd love yes. to know, and I'm sure our listeners would too, what have, how have you surprised yourself along the way? Yes. Um, I think many examples of, uh, I, I, if you're not surprising yourself every few weeks, then you're not learning fast enough to be a coach. That's, that's, and if, if I want someone as a coach, I, I want to make sure that they can tell me how they've been surprising themselves in the past weeks. Okay. Um, and a few things I've been learning about myself is you can take a, a 360 or you can do the behavioral interviews and you try and learn what are the things that are holding me back. And these are things that have been holding me back for decades, but I tend to be a very pleasing person. Pleasing means I really want the other person to, to be um, attracted, to be to want to engage with me, not to have no rejection. Okay? And that's why I share chocolate with all of my clients whenever I visit them. Okay, and and it's also for me a reason when I sense something in a 
client, the echo from my childhood years comes to my brain when my parents, who were trying to deal with six children, and I was the oldest of six, would often state, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything. And so one thing that surprised me is I was working with the CEO and he had some issues in his supply chain. And I said, we should do a value stream map on this in two hours. Normally I do these for three days. I said, let's do it for two hours. He says, I don't have time, but do it with my two guys. So I do the value stream map with the two guys and we make a parking lot and out pop two dozen decisions that the business has not made, that if they're not made, these decisions, my internal instinct is telling me these decisions are putting this business at a serious risk. So we've got these all documented. The old me would have just let it go. The new me says, don't be pleasing. Have the VP of Ops call in the CEO and explain this. So we explained it. And then not much talk. And then I had to really step into my fear. That's why I surprised myself. Because I said, I, I'd be happy to be wrong on this. And I really don't understand your business very much. Because I've only been here a few hours. But it feels to me as if you've got a few dozen decisions here that need to be made. And are putting your business at risk. And that was kind of my obligation as a coach to increase the tension in the process, in the system, so that when I let go, there's movement created. And I left that day face-to-face, -face, and the next day I had a Zoom call with the CEO. I come on the Zoom call with the CEO, and I said, mm, I feel... I feel bad today. There's some fear inside of my, my heart that I was too brutal yesterday. Do you know what the CEO told me? What do you say? What do you think he said, Brandon? You did amazing, Bill. <laughs> it wasn't far from that. He said, Bill, it was totally obvious what you said, and it was exactly what we needed to hear. Thanks for that. Wow. wow. So, so that was one way I surprised myself. And, and um, if you're not having a surprise like that once a month, then that's okay. That's your choice. But if you want to take your leadership to a higher level, um, knowing what we know today, it, it should be possible to have a surprise like that fairly regularly. Mm -hmm. So, first, that's incredible. That's a that's an incredible story. Thank you. And I'm what I'm what I'm hearing you say is that coaches need to be surprising themselves week to week in order to stay sharp on their game. Would you say that that's also true for leaders as well? I, I would hope so. And and all I know is the complexity of the world is changing faster than ever before. And. Then leaders have a choice. Either you change faster than the change of the world and you catch up a little bit, or you change slower and you get further behind, 
or you try and change at the same time, same speed, right? And, and my hope for the world is that we have more and more leaders who have the ambition to grow themselves faster than the complexity around us is growing. And, and that's, a, that's a massive challenge. That's a massive challenge. Mm-hmm. And it's clear how coaching can absolutely facilitate that kind of growth. And, and it, needs to be, it needs to be highly time efficient. And it needs to be, in some sense, measurable. Which brings me to another topic. And I think in 10 years or five years, when we look back at the coaching of today, we'll be laughing at ourselves. Because, because you know, the Model T Ford, it didn't have a gas pedal, and it didn't have a starter motor, and it didn't have a heater, and so many things, right? And And yet... People are really excited about it. And that's kind of how coaching is today. Uh, it doesn't make me... I'm proud to be part of the adventure and the growth, um, but it's pretty rudimentary. When I think of um, mm-hmm. how can we use apps, I'm using apps with 50 or 60 leaders. I've got thousands of questions that I've piloted this year where... Leaders complete questions on a daily basis, except not in an Excel spreadsheet like Marshall Goldsmith taught them for decades. They're popping it in an app, so the data is in the cloud. And suddenly, when I have a coaching call, I sign in five minutes earlier, check out the data, check out the comments the leader wrote. And suddenly, as a coach, I'm in a much better position to help the leader um, step out of the the overwhelm, the whirlwind of the everyday um, work, and and take a look at what what am I learning now? How am I changing? How how are things getting better? Or or which experiments failed, and what am I learning from that? And and I think I think using apps and making coaching automated is a huge benefit and and I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. And uh, there's some big organizations that are gonna uh, move this forward. And, and yet I think some simple steps can also have a very big impact. So there's many alternatives where we are, right? Oh yeah. You know, I know one of the apps that you are a big fan of was also built by one of our certified coaches. I'd love to give a, a plug. Could you tell us, you know, what is that app? How can people find it? And who's the coach that's uh, that's put this together? Excellent. And, and and again, I'm honored because I, I looked at four or five products on the market and I was about ready to pull the trigger. And, and I think you and I had a conversation. You had some book on your bedstand from AJ Williamson. Um, He's a Dutch coach. Um, he's an entrepreneur and a coach, stakeholder-centered coach. Um, and he is um, hes really a pioneer in his thinking. And he's developed a system called Tracking Coach. It's written two words, Tracking Coach, all together. And you can, we can put a link in uh, 
in the show notes. Uh, you can try his software. Um, what I find is we have opportunities in the future to use automation even better. And I'm experimenting in that when I have a leader and six or eight stakeholders, I'll offer tracking coach to the stakeholders as well. And this builds on the model of another one of my heroes. Let me see if I can find his book. There's so many friends I have from Mitchell Goldsmith. I want to be a big plug for him. I mean, Dan Norenberg is a great coach in Munich um, that's been really helpful to me. Um, we got some French coaches in the U.S. One of them is Hortense Le Gentil, and, uh, and Hubert Jolie is, was the CEO of Best Buy. Uh, they're providing so much thought leadership. Um, I'm really grateful. But I want to come back to a leader that was coached twice by Marshall Goldsmith, once at Boeing and once at Ford when he was CEO. And his name is Alan Mulally. And his principle is working together. He worked with James Lewis on this book. And there's some other books, but Alan Mulally has been a big figure in, in my coaching. Um, he gives me a lot of inspiration in, in his leadership style. So um, mm -hmm. I hope I give you a little bit of, uh, I hope I answered your question yeah. in some sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, for those who are who are watching uh, or who are listening um, at home or on the road, uh, to find out more about Tracking Coach, um, Bill, could you tell us what that website is? Yes, um, the the website is www.trackingcoach.com, and and you can have a free demo and practice on the system yourself uh, for a few weeks. And I highly recommend that. I think the hardest part is the of any. Um, uh, data collection and coaching is making sure you are able to guide the user interface. And AJ is brilliant at that. He's been, he's been absolutely expert at helping me navigate that. Mm -hmm. um, and we didn't, uh, we didn't, we didn't correspond with AJ about this beforehand. So I don't want to uh, surprisingly flood his inbox. If you want to um, be in touch with him, you can email us podcast at mgscc.net. Um, or visit, go directly to a site trackingcoach.com um, and, you know, obviously definitely check that out. He, so, I think AJ would be delighted to, to I think he's he'd be excited and he'd ramp up his, uh, his responsiveness. Um, that's at least how I know him. I feel really blessed. He's a great guy to know. Um, he also helps coaches build their coaching business. So um, you can, hmm. you can talk to him about that as well. That's right. I'm looking at his book. Uh, well, maybe you have one in your Mary Poppins. From bag, Rich, from Rich Coach to Poor Coach, I think, is the title. Just because we're here. Um, also, a good, <clears throat> a good read. We didn't, we didn't touch base with uh, AJ about this beforehand. So hopefully, uh, hopefully, he's just happy to get uh, get some people pointed his way. But I, I, I digress. Um, Bill, what what came to mind as you were sharing um, about learning from failure? Uh, is a quote from, uh, I think it was Napoleon Hill, who said, you can uh, succeed best and uh, fastest by helping others. Yes. And that is what I have known you as. Um, and that is what I hope that our coach, uh, stakeholder center coaching community can become. Um, but the purpose of this particular 
um, platform, this interview series that we're doing, Conversations with Coaches, is to unveil that surprisingly messy backside of what it takes to put together that coaching career. Now, given that you have uh, achieved <clears throat> objectively high success in multiple domains even, um, I'd like for our listeners to be able to walk away with some uh, you know, whatever prescriptions um, that you could have to make the journey just a little bit easier for themselves. So one question I'd ask, because you've also greatly positively affected my life with some of these, um, what habits, disciplines, um, you know, what, routines even have you started or established that have made a difference in your coaching career? Wow, great question, Brandon. Thank you so much for asking that one. Um, in the early days, it was a little bit about learning who I am as a coach and becoming better. And this coaching logbook is basically a book, an empty journal with questions that I bought in 10 packs. And after every coaching, you'd, you'd go through the questions. That was a huge help for me in establishing myself as a coach. Okay. Other habits. Um, I think it's really important early on to take the time and decide, log your coaching hours and decide how many hours do you want to coach each month. And if you have to coach for free, coach for free. But get those coaching hours and get that experience under your belt quickly. And if you don't have a client, um, just find someone and and. You have to be a bit cautious and, and hesitate if they, if you don't get a hell yes. Um, but I'm thinking of one client that I know was pro bono coached. And the, the stakeholder-centered coach who coached him went on to lead some of the top uh, organizational development functions at McKinsey based on the success of that coaching. So it's it's really getting your first few engagements under your belt, okay? Um, another one is always have a backup plan. Um, I'm thinking of one leader I was blessed to coach and I coached three or four different leaders for this leader. Um, one of the leaders, there's a great book on coaching uh, by... Uh, by the head of Google called Trillion Dollar Coach that I took very much to heart. Um, the late Bill Campbell was coaching Steve Jobs and the Google founders and 50 other or 70 other execs in Silicon Valley all at the same time. And Bill Campbell had a trademark that was very helpful for me that I picked up from that book. Um, when Bill Campbell was coaching, he would always hug the person he was coaching. And and that felt very weird to me. And it's surprising now how much a part of me that is. You can imagine me hugging a founder who's a, a global volleyball master's champion. He's standing about a head taller than me. I'm reaching up trying to hug him before coaching sessions. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm wondering... I'm wondering, Brandon, what other habits can I give people? Um, Ooh. Have, Ooh. Can, 
Make me. Yes. I, I've got several that you've given, that you have completely uh, you revolutionized the way that I, that I live. Um, if, <laughs> if I can interview myself for a sure. minute. Um, aside from, from cold showers, which is just, I can't, I can't tell you how insanely impactful that has been on my mood, energy, everything. Um, something that you challenged me on, uh, and this happened when we were coaching, this happened uh, after my 360, after uh, behavioral interviews, and before, you know, after the stakeholder enrollment, but before sharing the action yes. plan. And my MO up to this time and how we trained was build your action plan, share it, and get to work, and then make minor modifications as needed. And I remember at that time also, you know, very deeply entrenched in research at this time with grad school. And I was really doing an exceptional job making excuses for myself and over intellectualizing the plan. And you said, Brandon, whatever your goal is, pick one, one action you want to do and make it so simple that if you fail at it, it's embarrassing. So you know, we were, I was still um, running, biking and swimming at this time. And the parallel was you don't go get on your bike and plan to ride for five hours. You just put on your socks. And after that, the decision is up to you. You can, you can duck out if you want. Um, and this is something I have consistently told coaches. I've told my clients, make your goals so embarrassingly low. Just put on your socks. Don't ride your bike. Just put on your socks. Um, don't set out to be better at delegating plan to, uh, you know, delegate something as simple as picking up coffee today, just an absolute no brainer, uh, to hit, you know, other things you've taught me include, uh, you know, agreement, the power of agreeing before disagreeing and what a great humanistic characteristic to have just before you share a disagreement, find three things to agree with no matter what it is and no matter who it is. And it needs to not be um, a matter of manipulation. It's a matter of, you know, I see thing, I see what you see in this. I can disagree, but I can see uh, what you see in this. And Bill, through our mentorship um, sessions that we do with our coaches in training, I share these things. I, I plug you constantly. And coaches come back and say, that was the difference maker for me. Mm -hmm. And I say, me too, my friend. Thank you, Bill, for that. Um, and that's great advice for anyone at home. Um, listening to that's, this. So any, that's any really, other that's really kind, Brandon. Thank you so much for that. And actually, a lot of the credit for that belongs with uh, the late Chris Coffey, who was mm. kind enough to help me win some of my first engagements. And, and I think that's part of the community that we're building now. I'm feeling that within our community more and more that they're there are a few coaches that that don't you don't need to do this alone. Reach out and and get mm -hmm. some help. Um, it's always better on a sales call to go with two rather than one, mm -hmm. if you have the chance. And if you're going to do a Zoom call, it's it, there's not a lot of cost. Um, make sure that. One thing that I like, and AJ's book is jam-packed with actionable tips that you can use that are highly useful. Um, one of them is, um, is productize what you're doing, and stakeholder-centered coaching does this quite well, but 
come up with a good, better, best offer and just go to market with that and let people pick. And it could be six, nine, or 12 months. It could be with or without the app or uh, you can you can play with it, but come up with a good, better, best offer. Um, another thing I've learned from AJ is, and again, it comes back to if you make small progress, that's good enough every day. It's like eating your way through the warehouse of food. You just need to make sure every day you consistently eat. We manage that. We can do other things consistently too. We breathe consistently, right? So, so it's behavior can be made consistent. And what AJ talks about is creating your ideal client profile. In a perfect world, who do you want to work with? Make their pictures, take their pictures, take their businesses, describe what they want to learn and what they want to achieve and the part you want to play in that. And when you can describe your ideal client, then it's much easier to get to a hell yes or a no, let's go to the next one and find who are the people you want to serve? Who are the people who are going to most appreciate you? So, so that's a, another useful tip. Um, mm. Documenting your coaching hours is a powerful way to have a, uh, a retrospective review. I was talking to one leader today, and this leader only wants to have 30-minute coaching sessions. And and yet this leader has had more, it, it's in the top five leaders of all the leaders I've coached, right? And um, it's it's interesting to to reflect on that and have the data and to be able to say if we're trying to create a vision, it's not going to happen in thirty minutes. Let's book a two-hour session. Um, so so that can be. Highly useful. I guess my biggest tip is don't do it alone. Make sure that you are working to build and develop a community of other like-minded coaches and get yourself some help. I know when I was not actively connecting with other coaches, it's, it can be a very lonely place to be a coach. And as soon as you're lonely, you're not you're not adding your value to the world, and that's a pity. So, I guess don't do it alone would be my advice, and um, and and practice, 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 and celebrate, and ce expect and celebrate your failures. One, when I was trying to be certified as a master coach, I was coaching a leader, and I was working so hard to coach this leader and his CEO was fired. And that's already a major change. And so I'm coaching and then he gets his second CEO and that person leaves and then he gets his third CEO. Within one year of coaching this leader, who I was counting on to get my master certification, he had four CEOs and in the end we, we couldn't close the coaching. Expect that. That's normal. And and be ready for that. So and celebrate it. And that leader today, I'm 
I'm still working with that leader. And that's a leader that that provided me with some also some great lessons, uh, you know, of of working forth with some high. You never know what you're going to have uh, with a coaching engagement till you till you have the first discussions. Chris Coffey's very mm-hmm. was taught me always share an email with a few documents. I like to share the twenty ineffective habits from Marshall's book, and if it's a woman, Sally Helgeson's twelve. Things holding women back and the 20 commonly chosen leadership growth areas. And if a leader doesn't have the time to read that and come back in a conversation with some reflections, you know that either the leader is not going to be engaged or they're in, in such a reactive environment that it's going to be a challenge to get their attention. That's a valuable thing to learn in the, in the early phases. We took a leader perspective, you know, let's, let's give advice to leaders here. If I am a leader and I'm thinking, you know, coaching might be a, a good, a good thing for me to do. I'm not sure where to start. I'm not sure what I'm looking for. I'm not sure who to talk to about this. Um, what advice would you have for that person? Mm. Caveat emptor, let the buyer beware because coaching is it's a profession that's growing so fast and there's so many different flavors of coaching. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's, it's important that you're, that you learn a bit about what coaching can do for you by talking to some people who've done it. Sometimes I like to organize um, a call for six or eight leaders and, Maybe two or three have had coaching and two or three haven't. And there's maybe a couple of coaches on the call and we just talk for a few hours. That's, I like to do that if you can have a call like that to, to kind of educate yourself. Um, other things you can do is, um, I like to do what I call a powerful coaching conversation. And I actually use it as one of my most powerful marketing tools where I just take two hours with the leader and I focus purely on them and getting to know them and helping them. And in a powerful coaching conversation, Brandon, what I do is I say there's going to be one of three outcomes. Either we get to know each other better and that's a good thing. Okay. That's enough. Or we get to know each other better and we share some resources, maybe some books, maybe some contacts. Maybe you have a referral for me or I have I have someone who can help you on that IT project. Who knows? So maybe we just share some context. And option three is maybe we we kind of stimulate some thinking and, and we even think we might want to work together. And and that might be a third option. That we'd say, hey, let's let's work on on um coaching together for the next six months or twelve months. So those can be um that can be another way to learn. I don't like 30 or 45 minute coaching conversations uh, for chemistry because it's it's like a beauty parade and and the coach that you like the most probably isn't the best coach for you. <laughs> okay, sometimes you need the one to, to hold the mirror, to shine the light in the darkest corners where no one else has got the courage to shine the light. So so there's another book I'd highly recommend. It's from a high-level executive coach who is also in the 
Marshall Goldsmith 100 Coaches. His name is John Reed. And I don't have the title of his book, but again, we can pop this one in the uh, in the chat. John Reed is a psychologist and a, and a highly expert uh, coach who I've been blessed to work with uh, in a few uh, coaching courses as well as know him through the 100 Coaches. R-E-E-D, John Reed. Yeah, we've got his, uh, I've got his LinkedIn, <clears throat> excuse me, LinkedIn pulled up here because I would like to uh, to point people in the right direction. So here's some of the, um, some of the publications. They all look like they're on Forbes. Uh, A Journey Between Two Worlds, uh, Pinpointing Excellence. Ah, The Key to Finding a Quality Executive Coach. That's that his it? book. Yes, that is his book. That's it. Good. One more time. That's Pinpointing Excellence, the Key to Finding a Quality Executive Coach from Bright Sky Press Publishing. And that's by Dr. John Reed. Fantastic. Good. And, you know, if <clears throat> if we were to point the, the leader who's coaching curious, let's yes. say, um, to a, a resource or, um, you know, uh, let's say uh, someone that they could speak with, to know more or to be advised without, you know, an agenda, you know, where could, where could someone like that go or who could someone like that talk to? Perfect. Um, I would, I would be happy to make myself available and I'm, I'm not actively uh, fighting for new clients now, but I absolutely love having a conversation like that. And, and, Sometimes through my network as a mentor for Marshall Goldsmith Stakeholder-Centered Coaching, I can identify if there's a certain need that people have, be it in sales, be it in operations, be it in, in internationalizing your business. Um, so people could certainly reach out to myself. I can also recommend my coaching supervisor. And coaching supervision is something that's in its infancy. It's basically when a highly experienced coach, trainer, author, professor brings together a handful of coaches on a regular basis to discuss their most challenging uh, issues and opportunities. And I'm blessed to work with Professor David Clutterbuck, who's, he's written 75 books. He's a uh, He's creating by design surprises every year in his life, whether it be skydiving or learning improv um, comedy. Um, and he's written a book, which I can also highly recommend. Sure. Well, we're nearing the top of our time together. Um, and I want to invite those of you who are at home watching or if you're on the road uh, or at the gym listening um, to join the conversation. <clears throat> If there is a question you'd like asked, if there is a topic you'd like us to explore or even a guest that you'd like uh, like for us to have on, uh, send me an email, podcast at mgscc.net. Um, and of course, if you're interested in learning more about stakeholder-centered coaching, we have put together um, a free resource uh, that is, it's the foundations of stakeholder-centered coaching. It's a course that talks through uh, some of the philosophies 
the foundations and the frameworks of stakeholder-centered coaching and what makes it so effective. Um, this is at no cost to you. It's mgscc.net forward slash sample course, mgscc.net forward slash sample course, and you can get instant access uh, to that course at absolutely no cost to you. So, um, Bill, I have, I have one more question for you, uh, and that is, is there anything I have yet to ask that I should have, that I should have asked, or are there any topics um, that we did not yet discuss that you would like to comment on? Wow, great question. Um, I'm, I'm thinking that you've done a great job, Brandon, and I'm hopeful that we can help advance the coaching profession to do an even better job serving leaders. And I'm grateful to know you and for your contribution to that and to carry on and build upon the legacy of those who've come before us. And, and as they say, to stand on their shoulders and pass that, to pass that on. Um, so I'm, I'm honored and pleased to have had the chance to speak with you, uh, today and I'm curious what's going to next emerge and if if some goodness comes out of this uh, recording that's going to also be just an extra bonus for me. Um, thank you so much and the world needs leadership uh, growth more than ever before. Um, let's get to work. Thank you so much, Bill. It's been great having you on. Before we sign off, how can people get in touch with you and how can people follow you and follow your story? Perfect. The easiest way to follow me is through LinkedIn and just Bill Zeeb at LinkedIn. And you can also uh, reach me with an email and you'll find my contact details in LinkedIn as well. You can even, I think you can even book a 20 minute uh, consultation with me on my LinkedIn site. Um, and my email, if you want, is bill.zeeb, Z-E-E-B, at infinitas, I-N-F-I-N-I-T-A-S, dot coach. Perfect. Thank you, Bill. We'll put that in the uh, in the show notes and down uh, below the video. So be sure to check that out. Connect with Bill. Thank you so much, Bill, for being here. It has been my pleasure, and I look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you, Brandon. <laughs>